This podcast was first broadcast on Fresh FM, the top of the South community access radio station. For more information on Fresh FM, as well as links to other great local podcasts, go on our website freshfm.net or download the accessmedia.nz app. Hi, I'm Charlie Cuff, a Year 10 student from Nelson College, and welcome to the Gen Z Time Machine. Today, I'm talking to Faye Douglas about her late husband, Russell Douglas, also known as Doug. He was one of ten in a flying fortress crew shot down over Germany towards the end of World War II. His story has been published in a book written by Faye and also features in a new book by Nelson writer Renee Hollis, titled Voices of World War II. Did Doug tell you what happened? What 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 was the um, the event like when he was shot down? What happened? He thinks it was flak. If you know what flak is, mm-hmm. yeah, he thinks it was flak that got them, and um, they got on fire. Of course, they're on fire, and of course the skipper tells them to bail out, and they all have to say, "Going, observer, going, skipper, bomb aimer, going," and he just said. Tail gunner going, skipper, and out I got. And he said, um, what he said, it was the best experience he's ever had in his life. I couldn't believe it. Would that have been relief or just the feeling of being weightless? Yeah, well, what he says in there, he said, he didn't know he was going up, and all da- up or down for a while until he saw, <laughs> saw the horizon and that, you know. But um, he seemed to have enjoyed all of his service in mm. the Air Force. Mm. Mm. And landing, were they taught how to bail and how to land? Um, oh, I think so. And the funny thing he said to me, that day that we were shot down, I just had my parachute checked. You have to get your parachute checked every so often, and I'd been just checked that day. So um, they had a little wee tiny compass, it would be about as big as my fingernail, <laughs> and, and they knew in the compass when they landed which direction they were going in. Um, and of course he he had to leave his parachute behind and various things. Those parachutes were made of pure silk. Mm-hmm. That is why they give the caterpillar to those who've saved their lives by parachute. Faye is referring to a small nine carat gold caterpillar clasp, which the manufacturers of the parachutes, the American Irvin Airshoot Company, present to anyone whose life has been saved by one of their parachutes. These fortunate people become members of the Caterpillar Club, the motto of which is life depends on a silken thread. During World War II, they saved the lives of over 10,000 Allied servicemen. There was a film a few years ago called Into the Silk, and it was about paratroopers and things like that. But the Irving Shoot Company gave all the men who survived and saved their lives by the Irving Shoot this little caterpillar, it's a dear little caterpillar, mm-hmm. nine carat gold with little amethyst eyes, just like a little, and it was a little clasp that they put on. He had it on, my, on his suit on my wedding day, so that was nice. Yeah, it's very cute. Um, would Doug have been treated differently as a, 
a bomber crew rather than a fighter pilot? Would he have been looked on more negatively because he was part of a bomber crew? No, don't think so. <laughs> By the time he was shot down, the Germans were darn near defeated. It was 14th of March. Well, the war ended in May, didn't it? And um, the Germans were, I think they were about ready to give up because the Yanks came in and overran them mm-hmm. to save them. And, that. and um, Doug said at the end they were just handing over stuff to the left right. So I just pointed to Joker and he'd give me his pay book and he'd give me this and bring it with He's had some funny experiences, really, when he was a POW, because they used to march them back and back and back, and they'd go from accommodation to accommodation, retreating. He said they marched for miles. Mm. What was life like as a prisoner of war? Pretty awful, I believe. Mm-hmm. I've, uh, he, in that little diary that he wrote, he taught they just on flat boards just a latrine, just a bucket in the corner or something. There was rats around. They just used to boil up spuds and peelings and all and eat them. Now, it was pretty, pretty grim, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the name of the camp that Doug was held in? Or was he just held he in? He was multiple? moving all the time. There was no actual camp because that was the last six weeks of the war and they were just retreating and he'd go from one place to another, all the group of them that were prisoners. Mm. The plane that went down the same night Doug went down, it wasn't, it wasn't a fortress, but it was an, a, another bomber. That crew bailed out, but John Wynne managed to fly that plane back to England with his foot trapped under the thing, and he got back to England. He never knew what happened to his crew till after the war. And they were murdered by the, what they call them, the brown, brown shirts, by the teen, teenagers of the Nazis. Mm-hmm. And ever since that, Doug was just so lucky it was that crew that they got. And they murdered them, they hung them and did everything. Well, there was peace between those two cities later on. And they, the Germans really apologised to the British for what they'd done. And one never knew that his crew had been murdered till after the war. Wow. It was just amazing, really. Doug was just lucky he dodged that. Went down the same night, at the same time. It's amazing. Mm. Would that have been a common occurrence, what um, the brown shirts did? Well, they were taught to hate. They were Nazis and they were just what the Germans were like in those days. They were just brainwashed into it, you know. I used to go around killing the Jews and burning their shops and doing everything. It was horrible, really. So it was just good that he got back. And that letter that he wrote to his family when he got back to England, it was just an amazing letter. Mm. Just an amazing letter. Did his family know that he'd been captured? They knew he was missing in action. That's why I called that little book Missing in Action. But they didn't find out for several weeks later. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that relief must have been incredible. And so he, he was in these prison camps for multiple weeks? Six. Six weeks, ah. Oh. Mm. And then the, the, the Americans came and overrun them when they got sent back. 
He stayed in Paris for a while in a nice hotel before he went back to England. Then he went back to England, they got back to England and they put up at Brighton and pretty flash hotel stuff. And they didn't come back till about August. Must have been August he came back. So they stayed in England for a while after the war. And uh, funnily enough, the crew never got back to meet one another. It was a shame, really. But they kept in touch through Bomber Command. And um, they used to put out a quarterly magazine. And um, Doug's drawings were quite famous of the crew. They all got, you know, the cartoon of it. And it's in the Norfolk Museum over in England. Being a skilled artist, Doug's cartoons are now on display, but not only in the United Kingdom, but also at the Air Force Museum in Christchurch. I visited the museum and found Doug's letter in the Prisoner of War section of the exhibition. Having met and interviewed Faye previously, it was poignant to see the letter on display. Um, it's everywhere. As I say, in Motet, it's been there. Had a photo of him in that. The Air Force Museum, when it was handed in from his sister, when his mother and that died, they said it was the best letter they'd ever seen anyone write. It was Warrell Horton. I was, I was amazed with how it was written, really. Just the way he started off. It was a moonlight night, <laughs> and it died. So it sounds like something. And he was thinking of his... When they used to go back, of course, they'd go back in the morning and they'd have bacon and eggs and a good breakfast. And The Air Force was lucky, really, because when they got back, they went to their barracks and their rooms and that, you know. But he saw a lot of planes destroyed. He, he, he saw one actually on the ground in at their, at their uh, aerodrome, came in and burst into flames coming back. It was terrible. Uh, did Doug ever describe what it was like being liberated? What happened when the camp was freed? Well, it was great rejoicing, apparently. Yeah, it was great rejoicing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Would the Germans have just deserted, or were they? Oh, yeah, virtually. They just, they just put down their arms, didn't do anything. The Yanks just had them beaten. Mm-hmm. Mm. He was a keen writer and kept a tiny diary hidden throughout his time as a prisoner, despite being searched a number of times. Unsurprisingly, food is a constant topic in the diary entries, but Doug's words vividly describe the tedium, chaos, and dark comedy during the last days of war in Germany. Being moved constantly to stay ahead of the approaching front line, Doug escaped a number of times only to be recaptured. Once he was even set free by his German guard, only to be picked up five kilometres away and jailed again. Here are some excerpts from the diary in the days leading up to liberation. April 21st, 1945. Stuck in a cell all day. Very cold. Read Bible and scrounged a bit of tobacco off the guards. Have not had any food yet today, and don't look like getting any either. Artillery sounds very close. April 22nd. Woke at 8am to hear Yankee dive bombers giving Munchingen a shelling only three kilometres away. We were all shifted from prison to workers' camp. They also gave us a khaki greatcoat each. Weather is bloody cold. We're staying here now to wait for Yank troops to liberate us. Hope it's no rumour. All the crack guards and officers are supposed to be in town as pissed as newts. There seems to be light MG fire and mortar fire darn close by. We're on the front lines at last. April 23rd. Never slept a wink last night through scratching myself from bed bugs. Went into town this afternoon to see if we could swipe a couple of bikes to reach American lines, but none available. 
April 24th. Morning started off with a small arms fire just over the hill. A Yank infantryman and I went up on the hill at the back of the camp with a pair of binoculars to see what was happening. We were up there about five minutes when all of a sudden there was one hell of a big explosion about 50 yards away and a hell of a lot of shrapnel whistled overhead. It was from the Yank lines. They must have spotted us and thought we were Jerry's. Boy, did we hit the dirt like grease lightning and beat it back to the camp in a hurry. 7.30pm. Just as we were eating a horrible supper of rice, a Sherman tank rolled up to the camp and liberated us. Boy, did we cheer. Did Doug join up with his friends? Um, did no, he have any no, no, never knew. Uh-huh. Never knew they were going to wind up like that. Uh-huh. It was just a fluke. Amazing, isn't it? So did they know each other beforehand? Well, um, one might have been a class behind at Boys High and that, but Bill was always well-known, uh, Bill Lovell-Smith quite a well-known family in Christchurch and um, well, I think they vaguely knew one another from not as great friends, you know, but um, they did know them because the, there wasn't the amount of people at Boys High in 1942 or the whole population. It was only about one and a half million or something. Mm-hmm. Hmm. No, we kept in touch and of course the two Christchurch boys we met up with again went to their weddings and um, it was it was good really. Hmm. They've, I'm the only one standing now. <laughs> Strongest of them all. He was my rock of Gibraltar, that's what I called him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what would that mean? The rock of Gibraltar is at the entrance to the Mediterranean Sea during the war, that was the big stronghold there. Mm-hmm. So when you said he was my rock of Gibraltar, he looked after me. Even after all that, when he came back and he met me, and um, we got married in 1948, and uh, had all these years together, and um, I was just pleased I shared all those years with him. Mm. Yeah, thank you very much. That's good. My thanks to Faye for making time in her busy schedule to talk to me. And thank you for listening. Join me next week in the Gen Z Time Machine, Mondays 4pm on Fresh FM. And if you'd like to hear this program again, it's available on the Fresh FM website at freshfm.net. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this podcast available by funding the Access Media Project. Other great podcasts from Fresh FM are available through the accessmedia.nz app or our website freshfm.net.